1: Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoked Podcast. I'm not Alex, I'm Holt. Alex couldn't be here this evening. He's got some other stuff to do, namely sleep, uh, apparently. Um, so it's just me and the one and only tender king of Memphis, JV. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well, Holt. Obviously, sleep
2: is good for the soul, but you know what? SEC football is better for the soul.
1: That's exactly right. And uh, I think he's just, you know, maybe just a little bit depressed still uh, about Memphis losing to Temple last week. Um, they did bounce back and beat Tulane this week, but uh, and
2: back in the top twenty-five.
1: Yeah, but I think he's still a little bit upset that they're not still undefeated. But um, either way, um, we got a pretty solid week of college football. Got some um, pretty good games, um, some not good games, uh, some games that we thought were gonna be lost that were a little bit closer than we thought. Um, so we'll just go ahead and uh, get into it. Um, first of all, I just want to ask, did you eat anything special this weekend? anything you want to report report back uh,
2: well I did and then the special thing that I ate kept me up all night last night didn't even really fall asleep until after seven a.m so it was uh pretty brutal but it but it was awesome I had a high point pizza uh in, in Memphis and it's a really really good place but it, it's it's old fashioned greasy pizza uh the toppings were were really great but but man I like get definitely yeah, I did a number on my digestive system
1: thank you, man I'm sorry to hear that not really sh- <laughs> i don't really know uh you know and in, in podcast uh i guess host world how you're supposed to handle uh someone saying something like that so
2: it, it is pretty rough it was rough times but you know i'm over it now and we're gonna move on from it
1: yes we are um i had some awesome tailgate food we had uh all kinds of like dips and like chips and like casseroles and Sausage balls and the good shit. Pigs in the blanket. The whole the whole nine yards. Um, so it was a pretty exciting. Uh, Chick
2: fil A nugget trays. Yes,
1: yeah, so we did have some Chick fil A nuggets. We had the Chick fil A minis. Uh, Chicken like, minis. The, yeah, like the you know the breakfast ones or whatever. And
2: inside those sister sugar rolls. Yeah,
1: so pretty solid setup. Uh, we had um, pretty good time. You know, we had to start drinking early. We had the mimosas. Nice. Early had the, you know, had some bourbon some beer um you know pretty much just whatever we could get our hands on to uh try to help us forget about the game we were about to watch Mm -hmm. but uh anyway um without further ado um we might switch up the way that we uh run it uh since it's just me and jb i think we're just going to go ahead and jump right into the players of the week and um we'll just go ahead and start with that. Um I caught JB a little bit off guard, so he's trying to look up and figure out who his player of the week is. But I'm pretty sure I got mine. It's pretty much been the same guy every single week, but I mean he's just having a great season and that's why I think he's leading for the husband contention right now and that's Joe Burrow. Uh from LSU. Uh, another great game against Mississippi State. Um put up some, you know, huge numbers per usual it's kind of becoming kind of standard for him. A twenty two uh, or a twenty five of thirty two for three hundred and seventy 327 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, um, got to a little bit of a slow start. Um, they were moving the ball well, but maybe, uh, we're struggling in the red zone a little bit, uh, for the beginning of the game. Uh, but really kind of able to uh, break things open towards the end of the first half and end of the third quarter. Um, so really good game for Joe Burrow. I think he's probably the leading Heisman contender right now. If, um, if I had to say right now, um, LSU's offense has been so dynamic and, um, exciting this year and he's kind of been the main reason for that um so have you had enough time to look up your player of the week yeah i, I pulled it up in my notes and I- i'm
2: going with uh, deandre swift that's who i had written down and let me just say that game they played in athens yesterday was absolutely brutal as far as weather conditions were concerned i mean they played in a downpour which made the uh, passing games pretty much non-existent for both teams and uh deandre swift carried the load for the team he had 21 carries with 179 yards and two touchdowns and so he counted for you know two of the three touchdowns they scored in that game, and they're on the, their way to a shutout. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, DeAndre Swift this past week. Good performance.
1: Yeah, two really good performance by two really good players on two really good teams. Um, uh, next, we're going to roll into the What a Chicken segment, um, which generally would go to someone who um, I guess comes across as kind of a chicken. Um, usually someone does something like, I guess – you know, I mean, like in the general sense of the word of being mm-hmm. a chicken. Sometimes it'll just someone being an idiot. Sometimes it'll just be you know someone we don't really like what they did. So um, we just we kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, you know, make our own rules as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wooded chicken for this week is Barry Odom, head coach for Missouri. Um, just absolutely no showed uh, the trip to Nashville. Um, looks like his or looked like his team was just walking through the motions. Um, didn't really uh, show up ready to play at all, um, especially on offense. I just, you know, their offense was just non-existent in this one. Um, weren't able to do much of anything, rush for 140, rush rush for 150, pass for 140. Um, just kind of a rough game. And, um, you know, losing to Vanderbilt, who is coming coming into this week, was definitely seen as the worst team uh, in the conference. They lost 34-10. to 10 to UNLV last week and then they turn around and beat Missouri. So, uh, a chicken goes to Barry Odom this week. Uh, he definitely deserves it. Um, you know, they lost to Wyoming already and now Vanderbilt and, uh, you know, they had a chance to go into that Georgia game undefeated if they had just taken care of the business, uh, that they, you know, they needed to, but uh, instead they lose two road games to two really bad teams. And, um, now they're just, you know, I'm not really sure where this team's at right now going forward. But uh, you got your way to Michigan, or did you want to comment on on Missouri?
2: I mean, that was very unfortunate for Missouri to lose. I'm very disappointed in how they showed up to play. But, you know, I give credit to Derek Mason and his Vanderbilt team. They responded from a horrendous performance last week and uh, came away with a victory this week in upsetting Missouri at home. Uh, that was great. And I don't know if you saw the Derek Mason uh, postgame oh, yeah. in interview, but, man, I'm fired up. I would love to go play for that guy.
1: Yeah, I love that version of Derek Mason. That is like my favorite version of Derek Mason. Anytime Vanderbilt has a big win, he's always going to do something crazy in the postgame. And, uh, you know, he's the man for the job, as he said, and uh, anchored down.
2: He is, and I I really hope that Vanderbilt gives him, you know, another year because I don't think he is the problem at Vanderbilt. I think the problem is that he is coaching at Vanderbilt, just to be plain and simple. But my what a chicken this week – goes to the SEC officiating, namely in two games that I really think they made some questionable calls that really and truly altered the course of the game. Uh, The first game I'm going to talk about is the Florida-South Carolina game, and there was two calls in that game that I thought were questionable. One was a 75-yard touchdown play in which uh, Florida got a touchdown on a long run with P Ryan, and Tyree Cleveland grabbed the South Carolina defender and held him by his jersey as he ran down the field for about thirty to forty yards, and would not let go of him. And in that in in that process, the officials did not throw the flag, and the touchdown stood. And they <clears throat> ended up at tying the game at seventeen all. And then the second second blown call they had was a missed offensive pass inter, pass interference on a what they call a pick play. And in that instance, Florida scored a touchdown on it. And if they don't if they called the offensive pass interference instead, Florida's moved about 15 yards back to around the uh, 20 yard line, and instead they ended up getting a touchdown, and that, to me, that was really the difference in the game. I think Florida was up four at the time when they made that touchdown. If they don't make that, you know that if they make that pass interference call, South Carolina's defense will have a shot to hold them to a field goal and keep themselves in the game. Instead, that game that. A touchdown ended up putting the game pretty much out of reach at that point. So that was one game in which I think the officiating really screwed the pooch. The other game, I think, is the Tennessee-Alabama game, uh, namely at the beginning of the second half in which uh, there was one play, a, a, a holding call that they called on Tennessee when uh, Jawan Jennings lined up in the Wildcat and put it, took it down all the way to the goal line. And the play was called back on a hold. I believe it was on um, Tim Jordan or Ty Chandler. I can't remember which running back was in the game at the time, who was uh, blocking and sealing the edge. And they called a hold when, when you watch the replay, it was definitely not a hold. It was just a uh, routine block. And in that in that play, it pushed Tennessee back from the seven yard line to the seventeen yard line. Instead of Tennessee ended up having a you know six yard play and ended up at the goal line. So that's one play that really altered the course. And in that play, because of that, Tennessee ended up having to settle for a field goal because they were backed up so far. And the score became 21-13. The second blow and call in that game was an unnecessary roughness called on Daryl Taylor. Granted, I know it may... If anything, if you were going to call any call on that play, you would have called on like conduct. But what happened was it was third and ten, and Daryl Taylor uh, pretty much hit uh, Mac Jones as he threw the football and as he was hit, uh, Daryl Taylor landed on Mac Jones and uh, used Mac Jones' body kind of just to, uh, as balance to get off of him. And as he did that, the officials threw a flag, and Bama gets 15 yards gifted to them. And off, off, after they you know, failed to convert on third and ten, they get 15 yards, they get the automatic first down, and then they end up driving down the field to take a 28-13 lead. And instead instead of Tennessee not getting the ball back down 21-13, Bama keeps the ball, goes down, and scores, make it 28-13. So, yes, those are four calls that I think really alter the course in two games, and SEC officiating has got to be better. I mean, I'm not one to ever call out officials. I'm not one of those type of people that likes people that calls out officials. But when it's blatantly obvious and it actually alters the course of a game, you have to uh, call them out on it. And I'm anxious to see how the SEC officiating Twitter responds to some of these uh, blown calls in two
1: games. Yeah, the SEC Twitter, uh, page, officiating Twitter page has not necessarily been um, answering questions about bad calls. It's been a lot of patting themselves on the back for calls that they make right. Um, yeah. And, you know, it would just be nice to just kind of have, like, both sides of it there. I mean, you know, I think a lot of general fans may be interested to know, like, what kind of goes into certain scenarios and why certain things happen a certain way. Um, and I do appreciate, you know, them trying to explain that. Because um, sometimes you see things you don't know why they're done that way. And uh, it's actually very well thought out and explainable. But when they just kind of take, like, one side, you know, and they don't ever bring up the bad things and, like, you know, when they did something wrong and kind of admitting it um, – you know, to me it's just it just seems very like I don't know if self serving is the right word or just I just don't really understand uh, the purpose behind it. But um do you feel like some teams in this conference, I mean obviously like this is coming from a Mississippi State fan myself, um, but like do you feel like SEC officials maybe play a little bit of favoritism towards teams that have a chance to make the playoff or like or top ten type teams?
2: I'm not I mean, I'm not gonna lie. After seeing what happened yesterday, it definitely benefited two teams that were uh you know the higher ended, ended teams in the league, namely Florida and Alabama, that benefited from it. And you know I've all I've always heard the uh, Alabama favoritism card that you know opposing fans in this conference have played for the last you know five to ten years. And I guess maybe I could say I witnessed it last night in the Tennessee Alabama game, and maybe I just have been blinded by it, and not want to notice it. Maybe I just you know don't want to be one to blame the officials, like I said. But it seemed blatantly obvious last night that there was a little bit of favoritism towards Alabama in that game. I don't know if I want to say there's favoritism towards Florida because I mean they were they had one loss and they're in the back end of the top ten. But like I said, we got people have been always talking about Alabama receiving favoritism for the from the officials for years. You know during the Saban era, and last night I kind of opened my eyes a little bit that maybe Alabama is getting a little bit of slight favoritism from the officiating.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's been that way forever, and I mean, you know, I I feel like I kind of see both sides of it a little bit. I mean, on one hand, you know, you see, um, you know, when you're looking at Alabama, you know, they have bad calls against them too, but they usually just end up winning the game anyway, so no one ever talks about it afterwards. Right. And part of the reason why, you know, people are upset about calls is because their team loses the game, so generally teams of, like, not as good teams are going to complain more about the bad calls than, you know, good teams, just, I mean, in general. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely witnessed the Mississippi State-Alabama game last year where, you know, there was a blatant fumble recovery by Mississippi State on the first drive that was not reviewed. And then there was a block in the back where the receiver didn't even touch, you know, the DB on the touchdown that got called back. So, I mean, you know, I I don't know how much of it is, like, truly, like, the officials, you know, are, are – actively scheming to like keep Alabama undefeated and like keep like the higher ranked teams ranked high. Um, But it definitely does seem like there's a little bit of favoritism towards uh, the teams that are more established and they get a lot more of the benefit of the doubt, Um, you know, which is definitely a problem because it shouldn't be that way at all. You know, it's not the official's job to to do that. Um, It's just the official's job to call the game like they see it and not be influenced (laughs) by, you know, what jerseys teams are wearing or who their head coach is or anything like that. You know what I mean? It's just, that's not the kind of stuff that matters. Um, I understand like there's, I mean, there's always going to be biases and there's always going to be, uh, you know, like pressure on the officials. Um, you know, and as you know, when those bigger teams are playing. Um, so, you know, you just wonder like, you know, like major league baseball umpires, you know, like Chipper Jones on a close call is probably going to get the bend for the doubt. Yachty Molina is probably going to get like the benefit of the doubt, like you know these guys have been around forever. You know, I mean, I know college is different, but that's just kind of like sort of how it is. Like, I, I just feel like some teams just sort of get the benefit of the doubt, and it's it shouldn't be that way at all. It should be the same for everyone. You know, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be different for different teams. Different teams shouldn't be held to different standards, like at all.
2: Yeah, I agree. It definitely should be more of a level playing field, but. Yesterday definitely opened my eyes a little bit into the depths of SEC officiating and how they do seem to favor, you know, some teams or even certain programs over others.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's definitely, you know, I didn't really expect for this to go on for this long, but you know, definitely just I, I mean, there's bad officiating and then there's like favoritism and then, you know, I mean I'm not saying it's blatant favoritism, but it like it's there, like whether people will admit it or not. Um and you know it's it sucks, but that 's just how it is and that you know it just should it just shouldn 't be that way, and I wish it more would be done to i guess kind of correct that um but anyway, we can move on from that now, and something that is a little bit more exciting at least to me um is our power rankings mm-hmm. um and <laughs> most notably the bottom of it um last week, Vanderbilt kind of won that spot over by um getting blown out at home by UNLV, but they bounce back this week and get a solid win. So, uh, in your opinion, who is the number 14 team in the SEC this week?
2: Well, it it seems like it changes every single week, but this week I think Arkansas has to go right back to the bottom after that dismal performance at home against Auburn in which they were blown out 51-10. I mean, you can't put Vanderbilt at the bottom of the list after they beat, you know, a ranked team in Missouri. I mean, how can you put Vanderbilt last? I mean, yeah, Vanderbilt has looked like the worst team the last few weeks. But now I think you got – after Arkansas' performance yesterday, uh, you got to put them last. And also because of the uh, the uncertainty at the quarterback position too. Like Chad Morris just can't seem to settle on the quarterback, and that controversy has been lasting over half the season.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they both suck. I mean, like <laughs> I, I, I hate to be like blatantly like just rude like that, but I mean that's just how it is. Like, I mean, they're both playing really bad right now. And uh, it really – has more to do with that than anything. And I mean, at least, you know, with Vanderbilt, like you said, I mean, look, they got a win. They got a quality win. Yeah, they have an embarrassing loss, but so does Arkansas. Arkansas lost to San Jose State. You know what I mean? Like, I know they didn't get blown out like Vanderbilt did, but, you know, at least Vanderbilt, you know, they have that win now, and they have something on their resume versus Arkansas, who, I mean, what's the best thing they've done all year? They played Texas A&M close. They played
2: A&M close. They played Kentucky close. Uh, their best win of the season is going to be that Colorado State win. I mean, that's really, yeah. the, that's really so, the highlight of their year so far.
1: I mean, you know, like if you're an Arkansas fan, like I understand like you don't like being ranked last and, you know, I definitely feel for you. Um, I think Arkansas is going to have a chance to beat Mississippi State at home mm-hmm. later in the season. So, I mean, maybe when that comes around, they'll get a shot to get a win there. But, yeah, I mean, I just don't – that's I got, the
2: game i would circle for arkansas that they I mean, could that's get their, a signature victory
1: that's their only chance right now i mean I, unless they could beat missouri which i mean vanderbilt just beat missouri so i, mean, I guess it's possible but
2: it is i mean arkansas already had a few games that that were i guess you could say winnable the game against kentucky and the game against Ole miss mississippi state is really the only other winnable conference game in my opinion that remains on their schedule and other than that i mean i think they're staring at a you know maybe a three win season I mean, maybe four wins if they can beat Mississippi State, but I don't really see them beating anybody else in their schedule.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it isn't – the power rankings aren't necessarily supposed to be, like, um, you know, resume. You know, like, who's got the best resume? Like, I mean, to me, power rankings is more about, like, who's actually – like, who would actually win, like, head-to-head. But it's just – I mean, at least with Vanderbilt, they've at least had some games where you're, like – you know, you think that they're decent. I mean, they've had some games where they've been terrible too. But it's not like Arkansas hasn't. So, I mean, honestly, like, like they're they're both really bad. Like, I mean, I feel like that's obvious. But Arkansas got the got the bottom spot this week. And uh, but we can switch it up because me and you actually disagree on this one. We do. Uh, the best team in the SEC right now. Who Who do you have? I actually think it's LSU.
2: Uh, when you look at the offenses for LSU and Alabama, uh, they're both about dead even, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think there's really much of a difference. That LSU's offense is number one in scoring, and it's number two in total offense yards wise. But Alabama, meanwhile, is I think number two in scoring offense, number three. I can't remember between them and Oklahoma. And then they're, but they're also uh, ahead of LSU in total offense. So I mean, I think you can pretty much it's pretty much a draw between the offenses. But as far as defense is concerned, I actually would give the edge to LSU still. I think their defense still has the better potential, higher potential to be better. And when you go to special teams, I mean, I like LSU too, as far as the kicking game is concerned. So And, but, and then the, coaching's, the coaching, I would still give the edge of Saban over Orgeron. But right now, I still think top to bottom. And based on what I've seen so far and the way LSU is taking care of business against really great opponents – I gotta go with LSU right now. I think and not just because of the resume. I mean I'm not, I'm not even gonna say because of the resume. I just think right now they do look like a better team.
1: Yeah, and I mean definitely resume LSU hasn't beat, uh for sure. Um you know, obviously if two is healthy, which he's not right this minute, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um uh, with the healthy Tua, I still think it's Alabama. Um I just think that they're I think that they're more explosive on offense. Even though LSU has been better at this point. LSU's had to be better on offense just because they've been playing better teams. I feel like when Alabama's in like a big game, um, they're going to be able to pretty much you know, – they're going to be able to score with anybody. And I just think they have a little bit more firepower on offense. I think their backfield is a little bit more talented. Um, LSU's running game has been a little bit more productive to this point. But I think Alabama has the more talent in the backfield, and I think right. they have more talent out wide as well. I mean, LSU's receivers are great. Don't get me wrong. Joe Burrow's great. But, I, I mean, I would give the edge a two over Burrow – just as a pure talent standpoint, I give the you know the, the receiver edge to Bama, the running back edge to Bama, the offensive line edge to Bama, and, I mean, honestly, the defense as well. Um, and then, obviously, the coaching edge, you know, yeah. I mean, I obviously trust, um, you know, Nick Saban way more than Ed Orgeron. Um, so, we'll see about all that um, when they face off. But, right. you know, anyway, uh, that game is a, is a few weeks away, but it's just something to kind of – uh, debate on right now. They're both going to be good teams. This is, I mean, this is the best shot LSU's had to beat in Alabama, like really since twenty eleven. Yeah.
2: Actually, no, no, I'll I'll say since twenty thirteen when they had Zach Mettenberger. I haven't really given LSU a chance in this game really since twenty thirteen. That's that's a fair assumption and a fair assessment. But also, uh, this is a good chance for us to transition because also what's going to be very important going into this game is the health of two attack of Iloa. Uh right now, of course, Saban said he's only gonna miss a week or two, but he just did just go under undergo surgery today. And uh, you know, it, it varies, you know, person by person how long it takes for you to recover from a high ankle sprain. And uh, I mean if I'm Nick Saban, I don't even play to again until the LSU game. I mean you're they're they're gonna play Arkansas next week. I think you can roll one of us out there at quarterback against Arkansas and be able to put up enough points in order to win the game with the weapons that we would have. And then, of course, they'd have a week off before they'd have to play LSU at home. So, I, I mean, if I'm saving, I shut down too. I don't even try to – I mean, obviously he's not going to play next week, but I would just shut him down and let him rest. I mean, you know what he can do. You know what he brings to the team. He's got plenty of chemistry with the team. I think he just needs to be shut down.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, I think he's going to play against LSU, but I don't think he's going to play until then. Um, I don't know if he's going to be 100% for that game. And to me, that's, what, that's really what the question is. Because I, I do think that one way or another, he's going to find a way to to play in that game. Uh, the question is just what percentage is he going to be at? And, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're right. Mac Jones is going to start against Arkansas next week. They're going to beat him pretty easily. Um, you know, it may not be the prettiest offensive game, but they're still going to get the win- a comfortable win. Um, and then, you know, LSU, obviously, with a much touch- tougher matchup with Auburn, um, you know, they can't be looking ahead going forward. And I mean, you know, obviously we'll talk plenty about that on the preview, but um, yeah, I mean, I think just for Tua right now, you know, you just got to focus on getting back for that LSU game. And, you know, I think you will, Um, you know, as you said, he had the surgery today and the rehab's already started. I'm sure that they've already got him on track um, to be back for that LSU game. Um, but without further ado, I think that's pretty much all we have for I guess the storylines in the conference. So we'll just, Get into some of the games uh pretty exciting uh we're gonna go through these pretty quick um you know just to try to keep this one a little bit shorter but uh florida south carolina was the uh the 11 a.m the 11 a.m game um you know i really liked the under in this one and i felt pretty good about it till the fourth quarter when it just like it seemed like both teams just started scoring like crazy um yeah
2: four touchdowns total in the fourth quarter
1: but uh so that was unfortunate for me but um Anyway, the first half went almost exactly how I expected it would go. It was really ugly, and Trash just, like, could not hit the broadside of a barn in that first half. I mean, he was just, like – I mean, he couldn't hit a donkey in the ass with a beach ball. All like, right. I mean, he was, he was awful. I mean, literally every pass he threw was, like, just not even close. <laughs> I mean, I, he was, like, a completely different player than we've seen in the last few weeks. Now, he did figure it out in the second half, but – um, you know that first half. You know we we talked about that game being a letdown kind of for both teams, and it really showed in that first half.
2: It did, and I mean these two teams uh, <clears throat> were pretty neck and neck for most of the game until uh, Florida broke bro- broke it wide open. It looked like at one point when Taven Feaster got that twenty one yard run. You know at the beginning of the third quarter where they went up seventeen ten. That you thinking, maybe maybe South Carolina's got a chance to uh, pull off the upset, but then of course on the ensuing possession <clears throat> came the seventy five yard. Uh, run, which we talked about earlier and covered earlier, that really altered the course of the game, and after that, uh, uh Florida was able to uh, match uh, Florida, you know, possession or Florida was able to match South Carolina possession by possession, and eventually took over the game and came out to a thirty-eight twenty lead late in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I was, you know, I was impressed with the way South Carolina was able to bounce back. The crowd was was really into it early. It's a really great atmosphere um, in Columbia. And, um, you know, they really played with them for the first three quarters. It was a really good game. I think they may have even been leading at the end of the third quarter. They were. Um, So that was a a pretty exciting game. And, um, you know, I was really pulling for them, hoping they could pull it off. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, Florida was able to figure some things out on the offensive side um, late in the game. And, of course, a really bad fumble by South Carolina. um, Really hurt them uh, in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, you – Kind of hate to see it because it was a really good game, and you hate to, you know, it's almost like, you know, it just seems like the most, like, Will Muschamp thing ever, uh, just the offense, just, you know, I mean, they Feaster had a great game, but other than that, it was not a super pretty game for South Carolina on offense. I mean, Helensky was 17 of 35, under 50%, 170 yards. Uh, I mean, he didn't throw any picks, so that was good. Um, but just not, you know, the most, I guess, exciting um, offense, uh, they ran that flea flicker early in the game and that was really the only explosive play in the passing game that I, you know, really recalled. Um, but anyway, that was a pretty, pretty decent game. Good <laughs> win for Florida on the road. You know what I mean? They could have very easily lost yeah. that game and, um, you know, they were, they were in a tough spot for that game. I mean, 11 a.m. Coming off of, you know, two huge games in a row They you know, played the, the game day game two weeks in a row. Uh, coming off their first loss this season, you know, on the road in a tough environment, at eleven a.m., bad weather. I mean, that game just had uh bad news written all over it for Florida, and they were able to come out with a win.
2: Yeah, and I will say Florida has dominated the fourth quarter. I mean, that's really where their uh, identity, I think, has come from this team this year, minus the LSU game. They have won the fourth quarter, and that's 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 a good signal for uh, Mullen. Going forward, is that he has a qu- he has a fourth quarter team, and that's the kind of team you want
1: when you're in battles in this conference. Yeah, and uh, moving on to the other eleven a.m. game, I guess we'll just go chronologically here. Um, you know, obviously Auburn gets the big win over Arkansas, fifty-one ten at Arkansas. Just, I mean, re- just another really bad game for Arkansas. Just um, not very impressive uh, performance. Uh, Hicks, pretty much, you know, he was the quarterback the whole game uh but wasn't really able to get much going. Rakeem Boyd not able to get anything going and one of the worst fake punts you'll ever see. Um <laughs> if you haven't had a chance to see that replay you should definitely go back and check it out. Um Arkansas's punter, you know, looked like he was trying to throw like a lob pass and literally just Bobby Boucher style threw it straight to the guy on the other team. Yeah, it looked uh, like it was designed to go to the other team. <laughs> it literally just he literally just said here, here's the ball, buddy, and just like throw it right to him. Um so just chad morris like he's trying to like mix things up and he's trying to you know be creative but it's just like there's nothing working for arkansas right now
2: there's nothing and i mean i know arkansas fans i mean i feel like i'm copying what chad morris is saying i know they're saying it's frustrated frustrating and it's unacceptable and i know they don't like the idea of ben hicks playing over starkle and i can i can halfway agree with it. I think they should play Starkle. I think Starkle brings a little bit more to the table than Hicks does. But you know, Chad Morris is he's gonna keep rolling with Ben Hicks. I don't know what he's gonna do next the next game they play, you know, against Alabama. But if I'm Chad Morris, I would I mean I feel like it's you know, repetitive I'm saying this, but I think he should switch back to Starkle. I mean it it seems like it's been doing it all year where he's been switching quarterback to quarterback. But honestly, I still think that Starkle is the better one of the two. And I think he should just stick with Starkle for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, and I, I'd like Starkle more. You know, I think Starkle maybe is a little bit more hit or miss. Um, you know, I think he's going to throw some more interceptions. He's a little bit more, you know, um, I guess liberal with the ball. Um than Hicks is, but at the same time, Starkle's really the only one that's going to create any explosive plays, and he's the only one who's really been able to show that he could, you know, go out there and, like, make something happen. Hicks is just, you know, a very just bland, uh, very just boring, typical, uh, just typical bad SEC quarterback, I would say. he looked, Like, Hicks is the kind of guy who would be playing for LSU the last, like, 10 years before Burrow got there. <laughs> he was very boring, just there's really nothing to his game at all. Um, I just don't really see... Um, Hicks is just, I mean, I just don't see any upside there at all. Um, yeah, me neither with him at quarterback, you know, that's what I'm saying. It, it, at least with Starkle there. I mean, you have like th- at least a chance that he's going to make something happen, but, um, on the other side, um, you know, Nick's didn't really have to do too much in this game. 12 of 17, 176 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, so, you know, decent game for him, not outstanding numbers, but, you know, only threw the ball 17 times and, uh, three of those were touchdowns. So, uh, Good game for him. Uh, they got the running game going, even without Booby Whitlow in. They rushed for almost 300 yards as a team. Uh, really spread the ball around. Martin, Joyner, Williams, Schwartz, <laughs> Shivers, and Gatewood all got involved. Knicks uh, had 19 yards as well. So really spread it around. Typical um, Auburn-type box score. Yep. Getting a lot of guys the ball um, and you know getting creative with the running game.
2: Yeah, I mean, Auburn still looks like a big-time contender in this conference. I mean – I know it was only Arkansas. <laughs> I feel like I'm insulting Arkansas here, but I really still believe in this Auburn team, and I'm I'm really excited to see what they do against LSU next weekend. I mean, I think that Auburn LSU game. I mean, I, I I really don't know what to expect. I mean, I think that game's gonna be exciting. Of course, we'll cover that in a few in a few days when we can do the preview for that week.
1: Yeah, and um, then switching over to Starkville, um. The- Three thirty, two thirty, CBS game. I'd say two thirty because I'm I'm in the Central Time. Yeah, but, we we say Central Time Zone here. But anyway, um, got the Mississippi State LSU game. Um, was a pretty good game for I guess the first quarter and a half. Um, you know LSU was moving the ball. State was able to hold them to field goals, and then it was nine nothing when State got their first touchdown, and you know it looked like State might be um, up to something, and then LSU is able to score. Uh, a touchdown immediately after that, and then another one right before halftime. Um, and then just – it was kind of all she wrote after that. Um, you know, another great game for Burrow. Um, you know – He's got
2: to be the Heisman favorite right now. Yeah,
1: man. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's the favorite for me. Like, I, I don't know who else – I mean, you know, there's some other names out there. But, you know, what I mean, yeah. look, Burrow's not going to win the Heisman unless he beats Alabama, I feel like. I think he has to beat Alabama. I don't think he can lose to Alabama and still win the Heisman.
2: I agree. Although I do think Tua missing, uh, you know, half a game this, you know, this past Saturday, and then also likely missing next week, I mean, it's going to hurt him a little bit. But we also, it's also, it also could help him depending on how well L. M performs without him. But as of right now, I'd actually probably put Burrow first in the uh, Heisman race.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that. And um, he had another big game, twenty five of thirty two. Three hundred twenty-seven yards, four touchdowns, no picks. As as I read off um, earlier when we were getting out our players of the week, Um, you know the receivers for LSU continue to do great things. Jefferson, eight receptions, eighty-nine yards, one touchdown. He's really come out as uh, the the favorite. I think the favorite target for Burrow
2: and Chase. Yeah, and I
1: mean Chase as well. I mean Chase had five catches for forty-eight yards, but you know it seems like Jefferson is always. you know he's, he has a big game every week and uh, he's definitely making a case to be a uh, first team all conference. Um, but anyway, I, I guess just switching over to Mississippi State a little bit. Schrader uh, got the start, played the whole game. There was no Tommy Stevens in this one. Um, Seventeen to twenty eight, two hundred thirty eight yards, one touchdown, two picks, including one. I don't know if you saw this one, but the LSU linebacker made an incredible inter- one handed interception um, on one play. That was a pretty phenomenal catch um i don't know if it made it to like espn top 10 or anything like that but it was a really good catch and uh, shredder also had 19 carries for 66 yards um and that touchdown that i alluded to earlier um you know it was really their entire offense in this one hill kind of struggled to get to get going again for the third game in a row they haven't really been able to get hill established he had 15 carries for 34 yards uh for a long with a long of 11 um you know I feel like part of it, State's offensive line, I feel like part of it is just the fact that they, you know, teams are keying it on the run game because State hasn't been able to throw it at all. And then I think another thing too is it seems like Hill, every time he gets the ball, he feels like he has to score a touchdown. Um, You know, he has some lanes up the middle where he can cut up field and get four or five yards, but he tries to break it outside to get a big play and ends up, you know, getting tackled for a loss. So, um, you know, he's just... He's just frustrated right now, and uh, there hasn't really been a lot for him uh, these last few weeks. Uh, the offensive line hasn't really been opening up holes for him, and he's looking at a lot of, you know, seven, eight man boxes. So it's been tough sledding for Hill in this Mississippi State offense, and, you know, I don't know, you know. I mean, Schrader showed some some flashes, I guess, but, you know, year two of this Joe Moorehead offense, and we're still not. Uh, seeing much on the offensive side
2: yeah i mean it's it's i mean it's honestly it's really hard to be positive in starkville at the moment because the offense looks absolutely you know abysmal it doesn't look any better than last year uh the defense i mean they're doing all they can but they still lost a lot of talent from last year's team the defense can't carry them like they did last year and of course you look at the rest of their schedule i mean they're gonna have to scratch and claw to get to six wins and make it to a bowl which is not you know what you want in starkville this year uh, especially with the you know what joe Mo- moore had inherited and it's not good for his future either
1: yeah and i mean i guess i mean you, the defense played pretty well in this game um i think this was lsu's lowest point total of the season um you know which sounds crazy to say at 36 but you know mississippi state's defense did play pretty decent in this one and um you know, I guess one bright spot for Mississippi State was Stephen Guidry, a receiver, six, carry, six catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown. So um, it was definitely good to see him uh, finally make somewhat of an impact. He was pretty highly rated coming out of junior college, but hasn't really been able to make much of an impact. So maybe he can be someone to make some plays for State uh, down the stretch. Um, and that's pretty much all we can say about that one. Um, I'm not really sure which one of these games started next, so I'm just going to go with Missouri Vanderbilt. Um, I say Missouri Vanderbilt actually. So we're going to go with that one. Um, you know, obviously we talked about this game a little bit earlier, really disappointing loss for Missouri. Uh, the offense was pretty much non-existent in this one. Uh, they weren't really able to get the passing or running game going that well. And, um, you know, Vanderbilt's defense, I mean, they came to play, they had a good game plan and, they definitely wanted it more. I mean, there was no question about that. You could tell watching this game that Vanderbilt just they, – they wanted to win this game way more than Missouri did. And I think that says a lot about Derrick Mason and his ability to keep these guys uh, motivated and engaged. He does. and I mean, Derrick
2: Mason has proven time and time again in the last few years that he is a really good game planner. But, I mean, he's just working with a lot less talent than other coaches are in this conference. And he caught Barry Odom and his Missouri Tigers sleepwalking in this one. I think Missouri just came into this, honestly, just looking to uh, – you know, go through the motions and uh, come away with a victory. I think they thought they could just show up and win, and that, they were proven wrong. I mean, Vanderbilt played really hard in this one, and it's crazy. Like, both teams had completely opposite records. Missouri was 5-1, and one, and Vanderbilt was 1-5, so, you know, completely opposite seasons and looked like they were going in opposite directions. Missouri had the schedule set up for them to where they would have a shot to win the East by the end of the season. But, you know, losing to Vanderbilt, I think that pretty much kills their hopes, in my opinion, and Vanderbilt with that win for Derek Mason, I mean, I think it cools the Jets slightly for him, and then and hopefully, uh, hopefully the brass in Vanderbilt doesn't actually consider still pulling the trigger and and letting go Derek Mason. I don't think he's the problem. I mean, I think it's just you know it's a it's a very difficult program to win at. I think some of the Vanderbilt brass and the fans were spoiled during the Franklin years, and I mean that was just unprecedented what Franklin did. And still, Derek Mason took the team, the program to two bowls in the last four years. I mean, to me, that's still unprecedented what he did, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for the job he's done.
1: No, he really hasn't. I mean, i I mean, maybe you hear some things that I don't, but I, I haven't really heard like him being that much on the hot seat this year. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just feel like when you're Vanderbilt, you can't really um, expect. A ton. I mean, with what they put forth um, financially to support the team compared to other teams in this conference, I mean, I don't know how you would expect to uh, compete, um, you know, when that's going on. But anyway, we, we talked about that game a little bit earlier. Um, so we'll move on um, to the Georgia Kentucky game. Um, this game was 0 0 uh, pretty well into the third quarter. Um, Kentucky's defense really showed up in this one. But I mean, really, the story for me is just. Uh, I'm not trying to take anything away from Kentucky's defense. I mean, I thought they played really hard and, you know, had a good game plan and all that. But there's just, like, no creativity from this Georgia offense, like, at all. And I know it was raining and, like, you know, okay, like, I get it. But it's just – there was just no creativity from this Georgia offense, like, at all. And it's pretty much been consistent throughout the season. Um, You know, they they try to be, like, kind of cute with the running game when they don't have to be. And then the passing game just seems like, you know – just it's all like drag routes and screens, and like there's just no, there's no downfield passing and you know not I, a lot and it's just like you know fromm is capable in my opinion of making all the throws and being you know whatever quarterback he needs to be um you know they're not as talented a receiver as you know an alabama or an l s u but they do still have a couple guys out there who can make plays um and it's just like I don't know why they're so not exciting on offense
2: yeah i agree and i mean some of the fans and uh you know people that follow the georgia program closely are getting a little restless with james coley the offensive coordinator and i mean maybe they are missing jim chaney a little bit like you alluded to last week uh that you know losing him was a bigger loss than some georgia fans might want to admit i mean the offense has definitely not looked as consistent this year i mean they did lose a lot of weapons from last year i mean especially in the in the passing game uh, Fromm doesn't have the weapons he does at the receiver that he does that he he doesn't have the weapons this year at receiver that he did last year, but I mean it still doesn't really excuse them from being able to be more explosive and be able to make more plays. I mean they still got talent on that team. It's not like that you know guys like Pickens and Harion are you know bad players. Both of them are definitely playmakers, but I mean they got to be a little more creative because an anemic offense does not really go well for Georgia, especially if they're going to try to get over the hump and make it to the playoffs, especially when they're probably going to be waiting on the winner of the Alabama LSU game. And that's still, the, that's the only if they get past Florida.
1: Right. I mean, that's just, that's just the thing right now is because they have the talent on offense, but they're just, they're, they lack so much creativity um on the offensive side. And, um you know, I mean, there, there was, a, I mean, I even said after the Notre Dame game that um just, I'm not really sure what their plan is on offense. Like, I don't know like what their identity is, what they're going to be. Um, because it's pretty obvious that whatever they're doing right now is just not, you know, you look at some of the other great teams in the country and they're all good on offense. You know what I mean? Like if you look at, you know, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, you know, all these teams have really explosive offenses. And then Georgia is, you know, you know, I mean, look, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with like playing defense and running the ball at all. But like when you have a quarterback like Jake Fromm, um, you know i would just expect a little bit more from the from a play calling s- standpoint um to be more of a complete offense um and that's really um all i had to say about that um oh, yeah. so moving on to oxford um pretty good game here um texas and Ole Miss, um you know i'm not going to lie um i didn't get to watch a whole lot of this game um i wish i would have watched more um there was a scoop and score um, that was a huge play in this game. Um, that kind of changed the momentum for Texas A&M. Um, you know, but typical, you know, Kellen Mond game. You know, comes out fifteen carries, seventy six yards, six of twenty eight for one hundred seventy two yards, one touchdown, two picks. Um, so, pretty pretty on par game for Mond uh, for Ole Miss. Corral and Rice Plumlee both played. Um, you know, you can just tell like. I mean, the offense, in my opinion, is more efficient with Plum, with Rice Plumley in the game. Um, I just feel like he fits Rich Rod's system significantly more. But I feel like they do have to bring Corral in uh, just to force defenses to, you know, play the pass as well. Because Plumley is just very inaccurate right now. He's not where he needs to be. Um, and Ole Miss still has good enough receivers to where... Uh, If they can just find someone to get them the ball, that they can make plays. And, you know, I just don't feel like this offense is going to be up to its full potential until Plumlee improves his accuracy. I
2: agree. And we even talked about early in the season about how erratic Corral is. But I still think I would still take him as a passer over Plumlee. I mean, Plumlee's weakness is definitely his ability to throw the football accurately and make the throws that he needs to. But I still think he's a better fit for Rich Rod's system because, I mean, his system is, you know, about getting the run game going. And I think he's better for that. But Corral, at least has the arm you know and the ability to try to make some plays with his arm. But yeah, I agree. Like it's 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 really it's it's hard to figure out this old miss team. I mean, at times I've shown some flashes of brilliance, but uh this week, I mean, with this game at home against NY, this is a game I really think Old Miss needed to win in order to have a chance to uh make a bowl this year. But now since they've lost this game, I mean, I don't see a path for them to even get to six wins.
1: Yeah, and um you know, I- <laughs> It, at least with playing Corral, uh, going back to that a little bit, um, I feel like he's one of those guys that can get hot. You know what I mean? I feel like you almost kind of have to like put him in there to see if he can if he can do something, especially if Plumlee's not moving the ball. Um, because I mean, look, obviously there's no AJ Brown, there's no DK Metcalf on this team, but Elijah Moore is a playmaker. Uh, He's a really good player. Sanders is a really solid receiver. So they got some dudes out there that uh, need to get involved in the offense. And they're not able to do that with Plumlee in the game. Um, You know, that being said, I do think Plumlee should be the quarterback for at least, you know, most of the time. Um, You know, it's just when he's in the game, it's really obvious what they're going to be doing. Um, And that's running the ball. Um and then for Texas A&M, I mean this is a good win. I mean, like, you know, Ole Miss is not a great team by any means, but this is still a road game in the SEC. And this is the game
2: Ole Miss probably had circled. Yeah. You know, as a game that they needed to win and a game they thought they could win.
1: Yeah, and I mean look, like I know that a lot of AM fans were hoping for like maybe a nine and three, ten and two type team this year. Um, with that schedule, you know, even with it being so difficult, but you know, this is still a step forward. If they if they win on Saturday against Mississippi State that is still a step forward as a program because they, you know, the Mississippi schools have not been like an easy win for Texas A&M like they should be the last few years. And if they win those two games this year, to me, that's still a step in the right direction of going where they want to go.
2: Definitely. And, I mean, like I said, I mean, A&M is still one year away, I think, from competing in the West and competing in the entire conference and being a player, you know, nationally. I I, think they're going to have a lot of guys back from this year's team next year. And I'm I'm assuming Mon will be back too. I know Mon probably has had aspirations to leave early after this year, but the way that Mon's played this season, I don't see him leaving for the draft unless he, you know, he just everything comes together for him the last half of the season. So I mean, a And M they got a they got a bright future, and I think next year, I mean, they're really going to break through and uh, you know have a really breakout season. But I mean, the fans in college station just need to be patient.
1: Yeah, definitely patient for sure, and you know you look at those recruiting rankings, and that makes you feel a little bit better because you know Jimbo definitely gets after it on the recruiting trail. Um, and then lastly, uh, we will talk about the third Saturday in October, um, the one of the best non rivalries um, of the last decade or so um, in college football. Um, Alabama beats Tennessee thirty five thirteen, but I mean honestly, the story of this game. Tua going down with an ankle injury. Um, And then Maurer
2: going down with a concussion. The two starting quarterbacks.
1: Right. So Maurer goes down as well. Um, Not as much of a national story. But, you know, Tua is definitely, you know, we talked about it earlier, um, definitely going to be huge going forward. But as far as this game goes, um, it was actually a pretty close game. Um, You know, at least maybe like Alabama was in control, but there were a few times in this game where it looked like Tennessee was about to make it interesting. Um what kind of stood out to you about this game? Besides the officials?
2: Uh well, not the not just the officials, but I mean Mac Jones uh came into the game and he did not look, you know, the best at times. I mean, he started off really erratic, but he kinda of settled in more in the fourth quarter. But there's really no excuse for uh, I mean you can't really make that excuse at Alabama with Mac Jones playing bad just because, you know, not having two in the game like all of a sudden that makes Alabama, you know, very vulnerable. Even to teams like Tennessee, not an excuse at all. I mean, Alabama is still a juggernaut, and they're still better, you know, than everybody pretty much in the conference at every position. So I mean, there's no excuse just because Tua goes down. I mean, yes, he is the arguably the best player on the team, and I mean, he does make that offense roll. But even with someone like Mac Jones, a made a game, more of a game manager type. I mean, the, the offense could still be explosive with the weapons that he has at his disposal. On the flip side for Tennessee, um, when Maurer went down, I mean, that was a big loss for Tennessee there. And then, of course, they bring in Jarrett Garantano, and I mean, we all know the story with him. I mean, he's not going to try to lose you. He's not going to really lose you games, but he's not going to win you games either, unlike Maurer, who might make some mistakes, but he'll also make some big plays as well. When Garantano came in, the offense is pretty much – you know, dismal. I mean, it was predictable. I mean, they had to run a lot of simple plays. The playbook is more simplified when he came in. I mean, you got to give credit to uh, Jeremy Pruitt and his staff. I mean, they came in the game, and they had a pretty good game plan. Uh, and the game plan really materialized, I guess, when uh, Tua went down. Because I don't know if Tennessee would have been able to, uh, you know, keep Alabama's offense off the board as much if Tua had, you know, been in the game. But at the same time, I mean, they did play pretty well for most of the game. They they was they played competitive. I mean, this is really the closest game that Alabama's played all season. Every other game they played has been a blowout. Uh this is one of those games the first time I've seen Alabama have to uh play their starters, you know, deep into the fourth quarter trying to hold off another team at least, you know, from making it interesting.
1: Yeah, and it was definitely a solid performance by Tennessee. Um, they strung a few together. You know, we played Georgia pretty close. Get the win over Mississippi State, and now uh, you know, play Alabama on the road about as well as anybody's played them all year. Um, I mean, where do you, do you think this program is still in a position to possibly make a bowl game, or what do you what are your opinions on on Tennessee the rest of the year?
2: Yeah, Tennessee. I mean, we already had this game marked down as a loss. Uh, for, for Tennessee, I mean, they're going to have to win two of three against South Carolina, Missouri, and Kentucky. And it really hinges on the health of Maurer. I don't think Garantano is ever going to take another staff for Tennessee. I think next year, next week's starting quarterback will likely be J.T. Shroud. I don't think Maurer is going to play with his you know, ongoing concussion. But, I mean, Tennessee's schedule is not even that easy either because, I mean, even, even with South Carolina coming into town next week, in two weeks, they got a, you know, one-loss UAB team coming into town who is going to be expecting to win that game. So that's not an easy win either. So, I mean, right now Tennessee's definitely got the work cut out. But, I mean, they're definitely past the meat of the schedule, and now they're playing teams that are more or less on their level. And more they're going to have more, I guess, you know, toss-ups coming up, even the UAB game. So they're going to have to win, you know, let's see, with the record being 2-5 and five right now, they're going to have to win four of these five toss-ups to uh, make it to a bowl and that's really a tall task
1: yeah i definitely agree with you on that um i guess just going through some national games real quick um wisconsin big loss on the road last is, last second field goal to illinois ouch uh lovey smith i'll tell you what
2: um you can't fire him
1: no well that's the thing too is i mean they're you know pretty much everybody's been saying this but you know, he coached in the NFL forever, and like those pro style offenses are exactly what his defense is built to defend against. So, um, I guess you know maybe someone smart maybe could have seen something like this coming. Um, but Illinois is just you know, I mean they've just been so bad. And I mean, look at like their quarterback's numbers. The quarterback for uh, Illinois, Peters, was nine of twenty one for one hundred and seventy four yards, and they didn't have uh, anyone with over a hundred yards rushing either. So, um, just kind of a You know, just ugly game. They were just able to get some turnovers. um, That was really big for them. But, you know, hey, kudos to uh, Lovie Smith and uh, the fighting Illini. And, um, you know, it was a good win for them. You know, Ohio State beat the crap out of Northwestern
2: on
1: on a weeknight on the road. I mean, I just feel like, you know, weeknight road games are just, especially for ranked teams, are just always a tough spot um and then just going there and dominate like that was was actually really impressive. Clemson messed around with Louisville a little bit but ended up blowing them out in the end. Um let's see. So you were wrong. Iowa was not off last weekend. They were they played Purdue at home and they won. So I guess you you missed you missed out on the picks because that was your chance to gain one back. Would you have uh, picked Purdue for in that? that one? I was, no, I would have picked that. One. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's just funny because you <laughs> The last few weeks, I've gained. Uh, only, Two games. Yeah, because you keep picking Iowa and I keep picking against them. Um, let's see. Miami lost to Georgia Tech. Did you see that at home? I did. That's a really bad loss. <laughs> I mean, man, like Miami, like
2: from wow. the first
1: game of the season when we thought they looked like a,
2: you know, a, a different team. Uh, Florida was just playing to the level of the competition, I guess, hindsight 2020.
1: Yeah, and the Cow Bears have finally come at, come back down to uh, earth. They lose at home to Oregon State. As we figured. Um, yeah, so pretty much, as I said, um, at the beginning of the year, um, like or I guess when Cal got up in the top 25, that they were going to just turn around and start losing to the teams they weren't supposed to lose to. Um, let's see. So just flying through them real quick. Uh, Oregon gets the win over Washington. Um this was a really good game. Uh it looked like Washington was in control um kinda late in the game and uh Oregon was able to k- kinda make a little comeback and uh snatch the win out um at Washington. Um you know Oregon's defense didn't play quite as well in this one as they had for most of the season, but you know, not a lot of people talking about their defense. They're actually pretty good and uh you know their offense had a big game in this one as well. Herbert had a really nice game. Um. So that was definitely an exciting one. Uh, SMU stays undefeated. They beat the crowd out of Temple at home. Did you see that? I did. And, I mean, the, the, the
2: another upset of the weekend was uh, Boise State. BYU. Dude, I
1: was going to get to it. <laughs> I was going to get to it. I got it, man. We got to get to mean, I mean, I, I just – man, do you think I'm just like not – I don't know what I'm doing over here? <laughs> All right. Well, before we get to that, how about like Minnesota – still undefeated, beat the crap out of Rutgers The Minnesota is just like low key, just like rolling over everybody. Do you see they haven't given up more than two touchdowns in a game all season or something like that? I have not, but I mean, that's
2: not really a surprise. I mean, they've been, they've been rolling over everybody. No one talks about them. And then they play Maryland at home next week. That's another victory. I mean, they're going to be well, they're going to be well into the top 15 before they uh, have a week off before they play, uh, Penn State at home, I mean, you're you're talking about a possible game day game November 9th with Penn State at Minnesota in Minneapolis. Can you believe that?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm actually – I'm still really looking forward to the uh, battle for uh, Paul Bunyan's axe.
2: Yeah. And actually, I, I don't even know if I would say that's a game day game because game day is more than likely going to uh, Tuscaloosa that day. But, yeah. but, I mean, that really is kind of a, a missed opportunity for Minnesota too because that's going to be the premier game of that weekend in the Big Ten. And Minnesota – I don't know if they've ever hosted game day before. They may have. I don't know for sure. I don't know that stat, but that would have been a cool venue.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, Virginia Tech gets a win over North Carolina in six overtimes. I think this was the first time they had the new overtime rule. Two-point conversions. So, um, exciting stuff there. How about Duke just got absolutely blown out by Virginia? That was surprising. Um, Baylor blows out uh, Oklahoma State on the road, 45-27. That surprised me. Matt Rule has really got his team playing well. They're a serious team. I don't know, like – Oklahoma, um, you know, they're not going to lose to Iowa State or Baylor, I don't think. But, you know, I mean, maybe those are two games that they could potentially slip up at um, that they still have left on the schedule. Um, let's see. Totally rules. Yeah. Um, oh, UAB did lose a game. So, I, they're 6-1. and one, So, I yeah. guess they, they must have lost like yeah, in the last yeah. couple I, of weeks. I said that a little bit
2: ago. But, um, yeah, they
1: still have one loss. Yep. Yeah, see, Utah... Utah's defense completely dominates Arizona State. Um, Did you see Arizona State's uh, quarterback's numbers in this game? I did not. I'll just read off to you real quick. Okay, Daniels for Arizona State, 4 of 18 for 25 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick. Ouch. But that's not all. He also had 16 carries for eight yards. Man. So really, really rough game for the Arizona State quarterback. Uh, The running back, Benjamin, did have over 100 yards rushing, so there at least was one bright spot on Arizona State's offense. Uh, but yeah, that Utah defense really dominated this one. Um, Texas needed a last second field goal to beat less miles in Kansas. That was embarrassing. Yeah. 48 50, uh, at home. They didn't, um,
2: had to have Dicker, the kicker bail them out.
1: Well, I mean, this is what, I mean, this is what, uh, Todd, Her- Tom Herman does. I mean, he's just, he's just, uh, he's going to win some big games and then he's going to play like crap against some bad teams. That's just the kind of coach he is. Uh, Memphis beats the crap out of Tulane, which is an impressive win. Nice to see Washington State beat up on Colorado. That was, you know, I guess wasn't surprising. Uh, Michigan kind of kept it close with Penn State. Came did, back at the end. Yeah, it didn't seem like uh, they had much of a chance in that game, just because their offense has been so bad and Penn State's defense has been so good. But they did kind of bounce back a little bit. Um, US, yeah. USC beat up on Arizona. I mean, I
2: was also also mention the Michigan Penn State game. Uh, there was a drop touchdown in the end zone on fourth and goal, and uh, that pretty much won the game because they get the touchdown, they tie it instead. Penn State gets it back and they run the clock out.
1: Yeah, you hate to see that. I I don't you like. You do hate to see it. I really like. I mean, I hate Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, but you know, you just hate to see a game end on something like that. Um, <laughs> see, Florida State loses to Wake Forest. Um, I guess it's not even surprising, honestly. Like, I mean, that's just kind of like, yeah, it's about right. Um, man, Hawaii just got blown out by Air Force. Did you see that?
2: That was a little bit surprising, but, you know, a part of me wanted to pick Air Force, but I
1: ultimately went with Hawaii. 30-point loss at home. Um, so USC beat up on Arizona, um, and then finally the game that you really wanted to talk about, uh, big upset by BYU. They've had a few good upsets this year. I think all three of their wins have been upsets. They have. Um, And then I'm pretty sure at least two of their losses have been to really bad teams, um, but anyway, so BYU pulls the upset at home over Boise State, 2825. Um, this is a really exciting game. Um, yeah, for Romney, the quarter was he the first black quarterback to ever play at BYU. No, he's
2: not. That's actually he's uh, related to uh, Mitt Romney Romney. That's <laughs> what I was wondering here.
1: Yeah, so he's... <laughs> Yeah, because I remember them saying that they were starting like their first black quarterback, but I guess they that's did. not him.
2: I don't know if Baylor Romney is the son of Mitt Romney or if he is a nephew. I actually think he might be the son of Mitt Romney. I don't. I can't clarify. I, I don't know that for sure. And quite frankly, I really don't care enough to look it up. But I do know that he is in relation to Mitt Romney. I just don't know what the relation is. So, I mean, honestly, it's just not, it's not even that big of a
1: deal. No, it's not a big deal at all. But anyway, that's pretty much all we got. Um, thanks for listening this long. Didn't mean to go this long, but, you know, you start talking about college football, and, you know, you just get excited. Time just flies.
2: It does. And, you know, I feel like we covered everything. I mean, we went
1: – Just barely over an
2: hour, but this was a really efficient hour. I mean, we we covered a lot. We covered all of our bases, and now it's time for us to uh, go to sleep and start dreaming about the next week in college football.
1: All right. See you all later. Peace.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend, because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.